0: Well, good morning, Identity Church. I appreciate everybody coming out, especially after last night. I'm going to tell you what, if, if you watched the Alabama-Auburn game, you were keyed up. My brother-in-law back there, I prayed for him because I thought he was literally not going to sleep last night. So uh, I didn't sleep well because of it. But, you know, this past week we had Thanksgiving. And, you know, I'm so thankful for my family and for my friends and for all of you uh, I'm thankful for all the food that I ate. And I'm also thankful that I can still fit in my pants. So it's been a really good week, I will tell you that. I'm going to go ahead and get started into this. I, this has been something that the Lord's had on my heart for the last few weeks. I did not know how to, to teach it a couple weeks ago. But with all the Thanksgiving messages and everything, the Lord kept just putting it on my heart to talk about exceptionalism. And I thought to myself, this is going to be a great... Awesome thing. We're going to talk about being exceptional. And everybody has this idea of what exceptional is. And I thought, man, this is going to be great. And the Lord said, I want you to talk about how exceptionalism is not always positive. And I thought to myself, that's going to be really tough because our society, exceptionalism is, I mean, if somebody says you're exceptional. I've never heard anybody be, you know, cracked on by somebody going, hey, Drew, you're exceptional, and I mean that in the bad way. There's no one ever does that. We all think exceptional means to be outstanding, right? We're supposed to be outstanding, and, and you know, outstanding means that I stand out, right? Amongst all of my peers, I'm exceptional. I'm different, and you know what? In our society, we have taught ourselves, we've taught our children that being exceptional is a great thing. Be different. That's what I've always, you know, when I, back back in the 80s, I played baseball. No one got participation trophies at all. <laughs> Ten years later, they started giving participation trophies to everybody. In fact, I coached Caleb's baseball team, okay? He actually, like, won the actual overall championship one year. And we gave out trophies. But they gave out the same trophy to them as they gave to everybody else. How exceptional. But see, that's what we've, we've told everybody is that you can be exceptional. And I want you to understand that we're, we're teaching people that exceptionalism and excellence are the same thing and it's not in fact i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of go through this now this is probably one of the only funny slides i have in here so if you're not gonna laugh through this then basically just hold on it's gonna get worse okay but essentially exceptionalism versus the rule is what we're going to talk about here You know, exceptionalism at dictionary.com means unusual, not typical. It means special. You know, I've got the church lady over here going, well, isn't that special? You know, and back when I was growing up, I went, I, I mean, I was, I was in special education, not because it was a good thing. Okay. I had ADD and dyslexia. I didn't even graduate from high school. And, you know, one of the problems that I believe that I had was every time somebody would tell me I could do the normal thing, that I could be a part of the standard and the rule, I would go and they would test me and they would tell me, oh, but you're special. You're different. You have different skills. You have different things. And I just accepted it. I mean, hook, line, and sinker, I was special education, And I proved it. I didn't graduate. I didn't do anything. You know, it's kind of funny. We all came from a a church called Victor Christian Fellowship. Pastor Jim McCann, he made a comment. Some of y'all have already heard me say this, so just bear with me. But essentially he was teaching and he just threw out there Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens me. And you know what? It, It was a rhema word. There's a difference between a Logos word, which is just a written word. Like, we've got written words on this page. You can read them. That's fine. But a Rhema word is when a Logos word becomes alive to you. And see, that became alive to me. And I spent the next 18 months going from, they gave me a, you know, when I went up on stage and, and I was shaking the principal's hand, they handed a piece of paper and it was blank on the inside of mine. See, I didn't graduate. So I had to go and say, if I was going to do something different, I was going to have to go and get a GED. That's just a general education diploma. You go and take a test, and they have all these different things. I will tell you this it took me 18 months to weed out all the, the specialness that everybody had told me. See, I was exceptional. But that didn't make me excellent. I had people telling me that you'll just have to deal with your problem the rest of your life. And you know what? I was more than willing to do it. And see, we, we attach special and we attach exceptional and we attach all these things to people and we give them an identity that says different is better. And I will tell you this, being different is better. And we're going to find out here in just a second out of 1 Peter 2, 7 through 10, how much better being different is. But we can be complacent in our exceptionalism. And we can attach things that we don't need to attach. Also, some of the other things, unusually good, outstanding, gifted. You know, um, we also have like exceptional school, which is for like the mentally disabled. Or, or physically disabled people. I have no problems. By the way, I'm going to tell you, this is not a bashing session. I am not going to bash uh, a group, a generation. I'm not going to bash uh, a set of people that may have physical or mental ailments. That is not what this is about. So I want, you, I want you to hear it the way the Lord wants you to hear it, not the way that some people may go, well, you're against people who have issues. No, I am not. I'm trying to get people to think differently because if I attach something to you and you accept that something, then guess what? We'll have what we have today where people say, I can't do because I'm different. I'm special. And so now we change what the rule is. We change what the standard is. And see, a standard definition is a rule or a principle that is used as a basis of judgment. You know, my son goes to Thompson High School. My son is a thousand, ten thousand times smarter than I am. Okay? I, I have this thing called Power School on my phone. I go through and it throughout the day it updates me and it says, Dustin Caleb Cornelius has now got 104 average. And I go, 104 average? I didn't even know the scale went that high. I mean, think about that. He is exceptional, right? Everybody would go, oh, well, he's making 100 plus in every single class. No. See, he's abiding by the rule, by the standard and what they did in order to give everybody else an opportunity is they added more to it. See, my son is setting a standard by making 100. But what they do is they come along and they give him, they give him extra credit. So when somebody is making the rule, the standard, and then they go and do the extra credit, well, now they like, well, we're going to give you the 104. But at the end of the day... We got to take that away from you because you can only get a hundred. See, what I want you to understand is exceptionalism, when we pervert it, when we change it, what we end up getting is we end up getting people who say, I can't, and then the people who are working really hard, because I know this kid right here. This kid comes in and he does nothing but work. That's that's the difference between between being the exceptional and the excellent is that people will say, well, he's different. No, he's just willing to do. He's willing to abide by the rules so that he will be judged. That 100% goes to 104 when he does the extra credit. See, what I want you to understand is, is that when we set standards, when we set standards in our life, and guess what's going to happen? We're going to have to say, this is, this is how we say, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be a part of this excellence in the standard rather than I'm just going to be different. We're going to find out, here's a good difference. Okay? So we're supposed to, we're called to be different, right? But what happens when difference, when exceptional becomes the rule? And that's what's happening in our country right now. But in 1 Peter 2, 7 through 10, it says, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. These people are exceptional. They've accepted Jesus Christ. They are different. They are completely and totally different than everybody else. Because it says, but to those who are disobedient, this is the world. These are the people who don't go and spend the extra time so they can make the hundred And they have to have the extra credit or they have to take the test five times when they failed it four other times see they're the disobedient they're the people who said I'm not going to be special I'm just just going to be below average and because I'm below average I'm different and because I'm different and I'm disobedient now I'm waiting for somebody to come and give me something. And it says, The stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It's become the rule. When you go look up this cornerstone, and I've got two of them at the bottom. You can actually see them here. A cornerstone was built with an old building that had blocks. And based on the dimensions and the height and everything, there was a certain amount of mathematics that went in to say that a cornerstone... The footing of the building had to be a certain size. It was a standard. It was how the building did not fall. And see, that's what we have to understand is Jesus came in and said, I'm setting a new foundation for everybody. I'm taking this new cornerstone, this gospel that I'm giving you, and we're going to build upon it. But guess what? There's some people that are sitting here going, "Ah." in verse 8 it says, and the stone of stumbling, this word stumbling right here means to kick against. See, they see it as, I don't like your foundation. I don't like where you're going with this. So I'm going to kick against it. I'm going to try to knock it off of the foundation. That's what the disobedient want to do because they don't want to have a rule or a guide. They don't want somebody to come and say, oh, this is what we're supposed to be doing. They want to say, no, I want to do something different. I don't want to be held to the same standard as everybody else. So it says, and it's a rock and an offense. It's a scandal. This word offense is scandalon in the Greek. It means that that there's a scandal going on. They're creating this, this offense with everybody. Think about what's going on today. You know, this started back in George W. Bush's time. We had the no child left behind. Oh, we're not going to let anybody fail. Teachers, and I mean, I've got a teacher here and my wife in the back. I remember the whole no child left behind. I got a teacher back here in the back, Drew. All of these people that would come through this, this area, at the school, in, in a class, the, the teachers would have to, get them to pass. It was like, well, you're not gonna try, but let me keep adding more and more work to you. And then I have extra credit. I I do extra in order to get you to pass. Oh, and then when we hit 70, oh, let's move them on. And what we've done is ever since 20 years ago when No Child Left Behind, we've got kids that can't even multiply. We have kids and believe me, I work in the working world. We have colleges that have also adopted this. And so there are no standards. There's no rule. There's not a footing for the building to stand on. So what we have is we have a whole generation of kids that are coming up and saying, I, I just, you know, that's not what I want to do. I want to be TikTok famous. I don't want to go out here and build a building. I don't want to be an engineer Or a doctor. i got a doctor in the back. You know, I'm pretty sure you spend a lot of time studying. You know, Erica, I knew her when she was getting out of school, or she was was actually in uh, residency and everything. She was working tons of hours. There's a lot of people now that won't put the hours in. But you know what? When you put the hours in, and when you do the things that you're supposed to do, now you can have this thing called excellence. It means I do it to the greatest of my ability. And it says here in verse um, in verse 8, it says, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they have also and were appointed. Verse 9 says, but you are chosen generation. Oh, this exceptionalism is starting to come in. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. I didn't, I didn't point that out. We're special people. We are. We absolutely are. This, not only are the people that are in here that have accepted Christ, are you exceptional? You are exceptional. You are a special people to God. And guess what? You're also, you're this unusual and not typical type of person to the rest of the world. And you know what the world has been doing is they've been coming in and trying to change you. They're trying to get you to come back to their way of thinking. Oh, well, you know, not everybody is able to pass. Not everybody's able to do. You know what? When I had ADD and dyslexia, I had some things to overcome. I literally would read something, and I would jumble the words up. I did all this other stuff. So there was a problem, right? So I had to fix the issue. So there was an issue. I got news for you. I stood on 1 Peter 2.24, which is at the end of this chapter, by his stripes. By his stripes, I was healed. I mean, it's 2,000 years ago when he was on the cross, he did something. There was a, a promise. And we're starting to get into this right here where it says that, that to you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now the people of God who has not obtained mercy, but now has obtained mercy. I got to a point to where I could obtain the mercy of God. I got to the point to where I became a peculiar person. Man, my peculiarism, if that's even a word, was a thing that started changing my mind. I literally went from, I could not read something. Ask my mom. I would. They would give me a book. See Dick run, right? What did Dick do? I don't remember. He ran. It was in the title, but I couldn't remember what he did, right? Because my mind was thinking about squirrel. It was thinking about all this other stuff. And then when I read it, I was like, well, why is there a K in that? I don't know. See, the Lord started changing my mind. And he started making me peculiar. He started changing the way I thought. But see, what I want you to understand is, is that because I was different according to the world, the world wanted me to accept who I was and wanted me to just work a job that you don't have to think about any of this stuff. You know, what's amazing to me and it, it still amazes me to this day is the fact that they ask me to write documents for the government. <laughs> Believe me, I couldn't even put a sentence together. My wife still says I can't even write a good sentence, but they still have me do it. I write Southern Company, big power company, all these power companies that are here in the South. I, I'm a lead over creating documents for, for how we do things. See, what I want you to understand is you can be different, and that's fine. You can be special. We'll, we'll go with it. You can be exceptional. But you know what? If you are outside of the rule. Because I had to pull myself back into the rule. I had to get myself to the point where I could see things the way God intended them to be seen. You know what? This nation was created on a foundation of Jesus Christ. I don't care what anybody else says. You're going to have people that are trying to attack where this nation came from, where, what the found, founders were really trying to get at, but they're liars. I'll call them a liar right now to their faith because they don't know what happened. See, they've made up lies. And see, what we have is we have this institutional integration of Jesus Christ in our system. It was divinely and directly put in. And see, what happened is, is we became an exceptional nation. We really were different. I mean, go right now and look at all the nations of the world. We're different. I love how Andrew Womack, uh, he's a guy that had Karis Bible College, for y'all that don't know Andrew. He made a comment one time in one of the, in one of the classes that I was taking. He said, he said I was in Germany and I was, I was preaching there. And one of the people said, hey, let's go out on the street. And Andrew said, well, let me dress like y'all. And so he was like a bunch of, you know, drab browns and all this other stuff. And he was walking around and he, he said, I, I feel like I'm German. I feel pretty good about, it. hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of integrating, you know, look at this. I'm, I'm this German guy. And he was trying to even come up with some of the words. And he said one of the guys that was with him was standing there and this guy comes up and says, he's not German said look at the way he holds his head up he said there's too much freedom in that guy see what jesus did was he came and he gave us freedom from oppression he gave us freedom from our sins and our sicknesses. Now we can boldly go into the throne room of God. You know how amazing that is when you actually strip away all of the things that stop you from doing things. I still remember the first time they asked me to write something and I literally had to stop myself from going and say, I can't do this. The moment that I said yes and I started doing what the Lord had put in my heart, guess what? Stuff started changing. Well, did I do it perfect? Absolutely not. To this day, I have tech writers that work for Southern Company that come back and go, that's not even English. I don't know what you just wrote. And I go, that's fine. This is what I meant. And they write it for me. But you know what? Being different doesn't have to stop us. And see, this country is so different than every other country that what we have is we have become exceptional and exceptional has become the rule. Now what happens when exceptionalism becomes the rule? People start going, we need to change it. We have progressivism, right? We get to this point where people start going, hey, you know what? All this Christianity and all this... Your morality and all the things that we've had in the past, all that stuff is old. Let, let's do something different. Let's abolish police. Oh, hey, let's be exceptional because exceptionalism gives you awards and people decide to give you stuff. Let, let's, let's have things like, you know, uh, 237 genders. Let's have, let's have people that say, I can't pass this class. So I'm going to go sign a waiver like they do now because I have some sort of issue. And what they do is they remediate you. You know, there's nothing wrong with asking for help. And that's, I'm trying, look, you're looking at special ed right here. I'm not trying to bash special ed people. This is not what this is, is, and I'm not trying to go against generations. But what I want you to understand is that we have created a rule of exceptionalism in America, and people all over the world are trying to get this. We have 60,000 people that are trying to come across the border every single day, and it's because they want what we have. But we have people on the inside that go, this is too old and antiquated, and we need to do something about it. We need to become more like the world. You know what happens when we become more like the world? This is what ends up happening. See, I work in cybersecurity. I end up doing what we call indicators of compromise. See, indicators are not the real problem. Indicators are the response to the problem. Just really quickly, I'll tell you, You know, if we have somebody that's inside one of our systems that's trying to get data out, I'm not looking for the person. I'm trying to see what kind of weird data is being sent out. That is an indicator that is not the compromise. And see, what what I'm trying to show you here is not the compromise. I'm trying to show you key indicators of what is happening in our society because we have this negative exceptionalism that is affecting the United States. And it's it's been a long time coming. At the top left here. You'll see church membership uh, among U.S. adults have hit below 50% in 2020. In 1940, 1945, you were bouncing there around 75%. And we were doing really good. We were staying in the 70s and the high 60s and everything. And then all of a sudden, man, 2000 came along. And everybody started thinking, why do we need this? And you see a sharp decline of people. Now, people not going to church is not specifically the problem. I'm not giving you, uh, you know, something that I want you to, to take away and go, well, church membership is why our country is going down. No, that's not the, the main problem. Okay, That is an indicator of the problems that are going on in our society. Because if people aren't going to church, they're not listening to the word, If they're not listening to the Word, they're not being built up by other people that are in the Word. See, that's what church is about, is having people of like-minded faith to be able to go and fellowship with. Because if I can't build you up in the Word and you can't build me up in the Word, guess what? I start being built up in the world. And when I get built up in the world, what happens? I start thinking like the world. And when I start thinking like the world, all bets are off. We start getting into this this crazy town. Oh, there is no more common sense. How many people say, well, common sense is not common anymore? No, common sense became common because we went exceptional with Jesus. And Jesus is the reason why even atheists today say thank you and please and shake your hand and do all that kind of stuff. But you know what? That's changing. You know, back 50, 60 years ago, people said, well, I didn't believe in God. They still held the Ten Commandments because they were taught them by their parents. I was at work the other day, and what happened, this is like three weeks ago, and we have this whole diversity initiative that's going on inside of our company, and what what we had is a conversation about how to treat each other, and it would be like, you know how many how many women in here get offended when somebody says yes ma'am and no ma'am to you? Do I have anybody that's that's offended by that? Well, guess what? We had a conversation about how that was offensive to women. We had a conversation about how up north they're more enlightened, and see the south oh, we're still we're still just this ball of Christianity, and we have. We have our, our please and our thank yous and not everybody can say please or thank you. And they don't have to say please or thank you. And we're, as a society, we need to be okay with people just, you just doing for them and they're doing for you. See, this is what's being taught. It's, it's completely changing the foundation of our society. See, when exceptionalism becomes the rule, people start going, you know what, I don't want to smile at somebody. I don't want to tell them thank you when they, when they did this. I said this the other week. How many people feel weird when, you, when somebody says thank you? How many people actually says you're welcome? Well, guess what? This is really, uh, this is one of the conversations we had. The younger people, it's no problem, it's no problem, or it's, yeah, that's fine. See, we're te- our, our kids have, are being taught, the millennial generation especially, because I have several of them that work for me. And they have a really hard time with social norms under our current system of ideology. Oh, well, If I say you're welcome, that meant that I really did something for you. I don't want to have that personal connection. They said it's actually felt personal to them when they said, you're welcome. I would think it would be the other way around. If I said, thank you, Drew, and Drew goes, yeah, whatever. The, your thank you, know, thank you should have been more of a personal thing than you're welcome. But for some reason, that's a social norm that they're wanting to break. It's a key indicator of where we're going. And see, what I want you to understand, we got parents in here, right? We got grandparents in here that have children. And you know what? What we're doing is we're creating a society of people who say, I want to make a difference. I want to be a difference. And you know what's happening is because I'm changing the social norm, church attendance is going down. Well, that's old and antiquated. And we can actually see over here on the right, it says by age range. So 79% um, you know, back in like 2000 for uh, the traditionalists. That, that's the, the greatest generation, right? That's, the, that's like my, my grandparents and, and everything. These, these people still go to church even today up until 72, 72% of them go to church. But it shows here baby boomers went from 71% of them go to church in 2000 to 65%. The generation X, that's who I am. It, it went from 68% down to 60 Now, this is where it gets scary because what's happening is, is the millennial generation were being drugged along and 63% of them, or 63% of the time they were going to church back in 2010 time frame. now it's under 50% under 50 percent see what we're starting to see is that according to the national institute of mental health we're starting to see that there are key indicators of people when they start to lose jesus they start to lose hope do you know that the second most leading cause of death for this bottom age for the millennials is suicide there for between ten and thirty-four, the second most cause of death for their age range is suicide. Now, for my age range, suicide was fourth. We start getting into the, the fifth when it starts coming from forty-five to, to fifty-four, and eighth from fifty-five to sixty-four. It's a key indicator that every age range is starting to lose hope that they're releasing their idealisms of being exceptional as American Christians and they're going to this thing called the world system. Now, how the U.S. is versus the world, there's a bunch of countries in here, and I'm not even going to say half of them because I don't know how to pronounce them. But as you can see, 9 and 10 are Russia and South America. So the top 10 countries in the world of suicide rate. Now you can look down here. 175th for United States of America. It's 14.5 people per every 100,000 people die of suicide every single year. I've got another statistic. 2005, it was 10.1. Do you know that we were... 205th back in 2005, just 15, 16 years ago, that's the decline. That's where we're going. We're losing the hope in Christ, and we're giving ourselves the hope of the world. We're giving ourselves the hope in ourselves, and guess what? It just doesn't measure up. You know, when you start looking like this, the world, you're going to start getting the world. And slowly but surely you're going to see America decline into higher and higher suicide rates. It's going to happen. This had nothing to do with pandemic. All all of these all of these numbers right here have been rising. In fact, we didn't even have higher suicide rates in 2020 versus the rest of the time. The death rate overall was actually the same from 2018. All the way until 2020. See, this is just a systematic issue that we're getting into where people are having to follow the world rather than follow Jesus. So our ideologies are, are becoming more and more worldlike. Jesus actually said, you know, in uh, Matthew 13, it says, He also that receives seed among the thorns. These thorns are the world is he that heareth the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and it chokes the word out and it becomes unfruitful. Do you know that if we, you know, I can teach my kids and see that's what is so bad right now. I have people that work for me and I'll talk to them about Jesus and they'll say, well, I went to church when I was a kid. (laughs) Like, like, you know, I went once, I got all I can get. You know, the the thing is, is that just like everything else, like right now, if I was to tell y'all, okay, I need y'all to do mathematical equations. Most of you go, can I Google first and figure out, like, I don't even, I don't even remember how to like do, you know, wh- what is that full method, whatever it is. And you would sit there and you would say, I need to relearn it, right? Well, guess what? If I learned something when I was a child, I may remember that I learned something but I don't remember the specifics of it. That's why that we have to continue in the word and we become disciples indeed and the truth sets us free. In fact, I love John 3:16. You know, the word is Jesus. If we're not continually putting Jesus in our hearts and our minds, we will forget his goodness and his benefits. And it says you know, I put down here more of God's word is more life. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. Jesus is that word. And that everlasting life is what we end up having if we continue it. You know, that's, that's what's really sad to me is the fact that somebody says, well, I got religion when I was this age. Or I went to church when I was that age, or I did this when I was that age. Guess what? You need to keep doing it. I don't care if you're nine or you're 99. You need to be in church because being in church not only gives you the word, but it gives you fellowship. There's going to be some of you people that are out there that I'm going to be down. I don't know when that is. I'm not like planning it like a vacation, but there will be some sort of time where it's like, hey, there's something, and some of y'all have actually done this. You know what? Mary Jane actually said something to me in passing because I thought I would messed up something. And she was like, I, I really like what you said about that. And I thought, I felt like I really did a bad job. And I walked away going, there's hope, Lord. <laughs> you put me in this position, there's some hope, I guess, now. But see, what I want you to understand is that we all have to have each other. We have to have the word in order for us to continue. I'm going to try to move through this real quick. I know I'm getting long-winded, but I want to make this abundantly clear here. You know, exceptional doesn't always mean excellent. In fact, in Hebrews 8, 1 1 and 2, it says, Now this is the main point of the things we are saying We have such a high priest who sits at the right hand of the throne on the majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which was the Lord erected and not man. See, man builds these impressive buildings. Um, We talked about Herod's temple a few weeks ago. I don't know how long ago, probably in my house. But so it's probably like six, eight weeks ago. But Herod built this big monstrosity that didn't even look like Solomon's temple. And it actually was not set up the way the Lord told the temple to be set up. See, it was to impress and it was to to show a class of people that this is for you and not for the lower class of people. They separated all those people out. And see, but God takes the real tabernacle. He takes the real thing and he builds that thing to last. And it has never changed. Hebrews 8, 6 through 7, it says, but now he has obtained a more excellent. It's surpassed. This word, uh, Diphorus, it means to surpass. It doesn't mean just, oh, it's excellent. See, excellence means I'm going to do something that surpasses whatever we had before. Whatever we had before, it's so much less than what we have now. And it says, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry that has surpassed in as as he is a mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. For if the first covenant had been flawless, then no one would have needed the second one or sought a second one. See, the first covenant was for Abraham to build a bloodline. It was really nothing more than to get Israel to a place to where Jesus could come. Everybody goes, God's chosen people. And Israel was great. It was awesome. I have no problem with Israel. But Israel had a problem with God. And every 150 years or so, they would go off and they would start, you know, pagan worship and all this other stuff. And God constantly was having to deal with them. But see, that covenant didn't build people up. It showed them they had sin. It's just like this. How many fast drivers out here? Oh, come on. Everybody's breaking the law. Matt, get your hands up. Both of them. (laughs) How many people, when you see a police officer, the first thing you do is you look down at at your speedometer. Everybody should be shaking your head. I may be going under the speed limit. I still feel guilty because I thought, oh, I was going faster. See, that's what the law does for us. Whenever there's a law that is put out there, it sets a boundary. And in our mind, we're all great when we're breaking the law and no one's around to actually do anything about it. Woohoo! I'm doing 70 I'm 65. I'm such a rebel. But you know what? You see a state trooper way up there and you start backing off. Hey, Now I'm doing 60 in a 65. (laughs) He ain't getting me. I'm a good guy. Beep, beep. You know that the problem that we end up having is that when we set boundaries in our heart through the law, we start overcompensating so that we don't have God mad at us. And see, Jesus came and he just like said, hey, the second covenant is, I'm going to give you these promises. And you know what? I want you to abide by these two rules. Love God and love your neighbor. You fulfill everything else by doing those two things. So those are the boundaries I want you to stay in. So now when I'm going down through here and it's all of a sudden, it's like, you know, Greg pulls out in front of me and, and I go, and I'm about to like, the middle finger is about to come up and I go, Hey, neighbor. See, that's, that's what we have to do is I have to go, I don't really want to love you, and I don't have to like you, but God told me I needed to love you. And see, when I have love with people, oh, now we can get to like, because then I get to know you. I get to have a relationship. But you know what? If I'm all self-absorbed about what I do, well, guess what? If I'm self-absorbed, then I'm always going to try to get out of you what I need for me and not the other way around. See, that's what we need to do as Christians is we love God and we love our neighbor. And if we love our neighbor as ourselves, and that's sometimes the problem. Sometimes we don't love ourselves. We actually look at ourselves and we say, I want more, and you don't provide more. So we have to look to God We have to say, this is what you have provided for me. So that's what I'm going to strive for, not what is inside myself. And now I love my neighbor as God loved me. Excellence is not different. Excellence is measurably better. We have to understand that we don't change things just because it's different. We have to go, that's measurably better. That's what I'm going to go with. If you don't do that, then we're basically going to change everything. Eventually, we start getting out of common sense, and we start getting into anarchy. You know, we have to ask ourselves, are we striving for better or different? This right here is, I'm going to run through it. I may have to reteach this at some point, but I want you, me and Heather were talking about this. We kind of thought this would be a good thing. I taught on this a while back. Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive. They basically were carried from, from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is uh, Jeremiah was, you know, written, especially at this time. Jeremiah was the crying prophet when he first started everything. He was basically saying, Change. Or these bad things are going to happen. They started worshiping Babylonian gods. They started having all these people come in. Well, guess what? Uh, They eventually came and just took them over. That's what happened. So they were carried away captive. uh, Whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat the fruit. Take wives and begat sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. So this is amazing. I mean, you may be thinking to yourself, well, why is this such a big deal? But God basically said, hey, you're going to be in Babylon and I want to set up a new idealism for you. I want you to understand that there is something that you're supposed to do while you're in this other place. Seek, and it says in verse 7, and seek peace of the city where I've uh, caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For it is peace, you will have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in the midst of you deceive you, nor listen to your dreamers that have caused you to be dreamed. This is like, um, this is, uh, think about this, this word dreamed, uh, chalima. This thing is to cause to like. So if I was to have, if I was to have a dream, if I was to have not a dream like, oh, I'm dreaming, but I have a, a, I have something I want to accomplish. And, and I went to you and I said, hey. You know, help me out here. I want to be able to accomplish this dream, and so this is my dream, not God's dream, but this is my dream. You know, how, how how many people think that I could become TikTok famous dancing on the internet, and I could make a lot of money doing that? That's my dream now, guys. I'm gonna sit there and I'm gonna do jazz hands on the internet. See. And then all of a sudden you guys said, yeah, go ahead and do that. So you'd be like these false prophets because that's not what God said. God didn't say, hey, go create a, your own dream here in Babylon, become Babylonian, do these things. He said, hey, go and take wives, build houses, build gardens, do all this stuff. And it says here in, um, in verse 9, for your prophecy... For they prophesy falsely to you in my name, I have not sent them, says the Lord, for thus saith the Lord, after seventy years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform a good word toward you, and cause you to return this place. now, everybody I don't care who you are, you've heard this scripture, you probably have this one as this is my scripture right jeremiah twenty nine eleven this is mine. The Lord wrote the whole Bible of Jeremiah, the whole book, just so that I would have this scripture. And it says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a hope and a future. Oh, that's so awesome. That's so good. But if you don't put the context of what he actually said a hope and a future is, then you misinterpret this and you start having people who prophesy to you and you start divining your own life, and now you want to be TikTok famous. Oh, I don't need to go build a house and go build a family and go build a garden and do the things that I'm supposed to do. No, verse 11 is about verse 5. See, God is calling us to be different than the world because the world wants fame and fortune and all this other stuff to be lavishly put upon us so that oh i get my own thing but guess what jeremiah 29 11 it's about us building houses creating families creating relationships doing the things that god has put in our heart not the things that we've put in our heart and that we go and say do you think that it would be okay if I was to become TikTok famous? And Drew goes, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Dusty. Dance your happy dance all you want to on TikTok. Well, guess what? There's plenty of people that are doing it. They're not famous. If they are famous, they're being laughed at. And they're entertaining us on some day of the week. But they are not building anything other than themselves Which will go to failure. And guess what? If you fail in yourself, there's no one to turn to unless you turn to God. And most of these people have forgotten that God is even there. And so what they do is they come to the end of themselves and then they become a statistic. And they go and they kill themselves. Or they take drugs or they do other things that are damaging to themselves. And guess what happens? They become just an asterisk or a number in somebody's category. And God said, you could have built a whole generation. You could have created houses and wealth and everything for your family. And you could have been the next generation's hope. But you decided that you wanted to lavishly put it upon yourself. Building a stable, consistent life in any situation is what we're called to do. You may be going, well, I was was dealt a bad hand. Well, I feel like I was dealt a bad hand. I mean, I didn't learn the things that I needed to learn when I was in school. I mean, I had ADD and dyslexia. It took me 11 years to go from GED to master's degree in computer engineering. And some people maybe go, hey, that's perfectly fine. You did it. That was great. Clap you know, pat myself on the back. Well, no. It was slogging my way through it because I didn't learn anything from the time I was five years old until the time I was 18. But you know what? God was so good because in any situation, He started building miracles in the mundane. I started having a family. I started going to work and people started giving me opportunities and hope and Without a degree, I started to become an engineer. God just opened up doors of opportunity. He all opened up opportunities for my school to be paid for after a while at a company. So, you know, the thing is, is I started doing verse 5 after I learned about it. And I started building houses and gardens and families. And now, I'm a part of of a generation that is trying to change a mindset. See, you are a generation that can change a mindset. You have people that you can influence. But how do we do that? How do we get to that point? You all probably saw this the other week when I, when I taught. Everybody loved the underwear one. I, I, when I taught it the other day, the guy stretching his leg and then he turns around, all the kids went crazy when I, when i showed this one but see god's desires are how we begin see when we get his desires then now we can take his desires and we can apply them to our life when we apply them to our life they just start growing because it says here in psalms 37 4 it says delight or this word uh agna means to be soft or pliable So when I am soft or pliable to the Lord, he shall give you the desires of your heart. That means it's his desires that he's putting in your heart. You know, I never told my kids that they were special. Now, y'all may think I'm a bad parent, but I've never told my kids that they were special. Have I ever come up and said, you're special, son? No. What have I told you? Go find God's desire, right? I've always said, I don't want you to do what I want you to do. I played football in high school. I never walked up to him and said, hey, son, you're going to play football. That was never a desire in his heart. Now, he wanted to play baseball. He's on the math team now. But the desires that's in his heart was completely different than the desires I had. My my daughter, I've learned more about skin care, okay, in the last two years, because she's becoming an esthetician, I actually found out about being an esthetician. I went and talked to people. I went towards schools and everything with her. I know more about doing a microderm plane thing than probably most of y'all do, okay? I'm an expert in nothing with that. No, I'm not an expert. But I do know a lot more than I did before. And it's because I said, what is your desire, Kaylee? You know what Kaylee said? She said, I really want to do skincare. I want to do these things. So that's what we did. And I went and found it. Because you know what? Dad is sitting here going, hey, we got, I mean, my mom works for one of the banks doing, you know, graphics art. And Kaylee was really into graphics art for a while. And I was like, that would be a good place. You can make good money. And that would be awesome. And she's going, I want to scrape people's faces. Okay, if that's what God's really put in your heart, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work with you. We're going we're to do that. See, I never told them they were special. I never told them they were exceptional. I told them to go find out what God wanted them to do, and that's what they're doing. And it says in verse 5, it says, commit, this means to wallow or to roll oneself. You know, um, I can either wall- Every time I've ever heard of wallow, I've always heard like wallow and self-pity. I've never heard wallow used in a positive context. I mean, if y'all find one, let me know. But, but I've never heard someone say, I'm just going to go wallow around in goodness. No, that's not the way it works. Most of the time people are like, oh, I'm just, just wallowing around in my own self-pity. Well, you know, wallow is like this person on the third over here. Just covered head to toe, every single inch in mud. Well, see, when we wallow around in God's way, you know what? We trust in Him and He will bring it to pass. You know, that's what has been my whole life after I found out about some of these things. Is I went from being special ed to I started wallowing around in God's purpose for my life. You know, some, some of the times I didn't want to do some of the things that God wanted me to do. Especially when I was starting to do ministry. I already had a master's degree in computer engineering. That's where I'm supposed to be, Lord. You've already, for the rest of my life, I'm good. And he said, no, there's still more. Do you know there's still more for each and every one of you? You know, God has more desires. Just because you're at a place in your life where you go, oh, well, I'm not going to do anything else. Well, guess what? I don't care if you're 99 years old. God still has desires that he wants to put in your heart. And there's still things that he wants to do in you for others. See, his desires become your desires. And if his desires become your desires, then you start fulfilling God's purpose and you become excellent and not just special or different. Amen. Did y'all learn anything today?